Well, please turn with me to the letter of Paul to the Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. And the Apostle Paul says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Well, we're looking... Dear friends, at this a few verses, these few verses uh, this morning, and my message title is uh, "Filled uh, with the Spirit." Filled with the Spirit. Well, we are continuing uh, all these. We're looking at these practical applications for believers. So many areas, so many uh, principles. The Apostle Paul is handing down to us, received from the Lord, of course. And he passes them down to us in written form. Principles for the conduct of every believer. Uh, how he is uh, to walk. This is the, pl- the pattern. This is the blueprint for every believer uh, to aim at. We shouldn't think, well, I'm exempt. I'm a believer. I can live how I like. It's up to me. I can choose how I want to live my life. No, friends. After we've come to the Lord, here is a pattern. Here is a way for us to, uh, to follow. We're not saved by keeping these things. We're not saved and go to heaven because we do these things. It's the other way around. We do these things because we are saved. How do you know a person is really saved? Because they walk in this way. They walk, you see them in their daily life, they're walking in love. You see them, they're walking closely with the Lord. They're walking carefully how they, how they walk. They desire to please God. They're avoiding sin, yes, but they're also kind people. They're good. They're involved in the Lord's work. They want to do something for Christ. They live as children of the day. All these things are, are, are evidence. Oh, that sister, that must be a sister. Look at the way she's walking. She's walking in this biblical, spirit-filled way. And that's the idea, really, which I want to uh, present to you really in this, this uh, lesson, this message uh, this morning. This is what it is to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, here in verse uh, 18, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, there are people who have so many different interpretations of this phrase. What does it mean to be filled with with the Spirit. You can ask one person one thing, and he will say one thing. You ask another person, another Christian, and they will come up with another thing. Well, what, what do we do? Which is the right one? Well, we must go back to the Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. This verse will be interpreted by, uh, by other verses. Don't take it out of context. Don't think, oh, uh, being filled with the Spirit is having all goosebumps and all having nice emotional uplifts and feelings. Is that it? Well, does the Scripture say that? Well, if it says that, then that's what it is. But if it doesn't say that, then we say it cannot be that. So we are examining these things. And I just want to do a little bit of this cross-referencing uh, uh, to, to try and show us what is the biblical understanding and interpretation of these words. We won't do a full study. That would take too much time. But just mention some things uh, briefly. Well, some people say, especially our charismatic friends, 
to be filled with the Spirit means to speak in tongues. That you, uh, an evidence that you are filled with the Holy Spirit is that you speak in tongues. And if you don't speak in tongues, well, then you're not filled. You're a second-class citizen, some would say. Some of them would even go a little bit further, and they would say, you're not even a believer if you don't speak in tongues. You're not even a Christian. Well, is that, is that true? Is, is being filled with the Spirit uh, speaking in tongues, speaking in another language? Well, we have to say uh, no. Uh, it's, it's not a, a biblical understanding. Yes, it happened. Yes, it was one of the marks in the early church. And the speaking in tongues was a gift, we believe, just for that time. We don't have time to go into the actual gift itself. But it, when you look at the other occasions when the Bible talks about people being filled with the Holy Spirit, there is no mention of speaking in tongues. There is no mention of that, uh, that gift, which incidentally was not angelic language, but it was a real language, a coherent language. Do you remember how on the day of Pentecost, there were Jews gathered for, for that feast from all over the world, and they, 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 was, they were fluent in different languages. And suddenly these disciples got up after they were filled, and with boldness, uh, they spoke fluently this, this language that, which they didn't have any idea about. They'd never studied it, they never learned it, and yet they, could, they were speaking as, a, as if they were native speakers. And what were they saying? Things that could be understood by the people. The people themselves, their testimony was, well, how come these people, they are speaking to us in our own language, the works of God? The works of God. They understood it, you see. It was, you know, so many people today say, well, tongues, oh, I, we don't understand what you say. Yeah, no, but God understands. God understands. <laughs> but it's not given for that purpose. It was given to be a, a testimony to the to the, the, the Jews who are gathered there. This, the disciples, listen to them. Uh, what's happening to them, uh, what the message that they are saying is from God. And this is a sign, this is a token, this is evidence that it is so. So listen uh, to the message, the gospel that they are preaching, and especially what they are saying about Christ. So you see that? That was boldness there. So we, we have to say it's, it's not a sign of being filled with the Spirit is not uh, just speaking in tongues. On the other hand, there's a, a famous preacher in the United States and uh, now retired, but he has, he has a different take uh, on this phrase. And uh, he's a preacher, I'm sure you, you know him, he's, he's very well known for Christian hedonism and uh, basically he's saying that the one thing that uh, Everyone, all Christians really should focus on, uh, this should be the thrust of their life, is to enjoy God. Enjoy God. That's the panacea for all your ills. That's, that will help you all over all your troubles. Well, we believe, of course, in enjoying God. We're not, gonna, we're not miserable Christians. That's part of it. We love the Lord. We enjoy Him. We appreciate Him. That's part of the first catechism. Glorify God and enjoy Him. But it's not the only thing in life. It's not the only thing a Christian must pay attention to. So this, this uh, brother, well, he says, uh, he carries, when he's expounded on this, this text, he carries that idea through, and he says, to be filled with the Spirit is to have great joy in God. And that joy will give him power for, to overcome his sin and give him power uh, for a bold witness. Well, we agree, but in part. Yes, a person who is filled with the Spirit 
will be a joyful person. That will be one of the fruits of the, the Holy Spirit, but not the only one, not the only thing uh, that is in mind. The kingdom of God, uh, we read, is, is, what, is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's not just joy, but righteousness, peace, and joy. Upright living, honest living, doing uh, peace with God, seeking to live peacefully with others, you see, as well as joy in the Savior. Well, we read Acts chapter 4, and in Acts chapter 4, uh, that was another occasion. You remember what happened? Uh, Peter and John are hauled, arrested, brought before the, uh, Sanhedrin, primarily Sadducees, and uh, they, they are told, uh, why are you doing all these things, preaching all these things? And we read uh, uh, that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he gave that bold answer. And uh, he was able to give a good testimony. The Spirit strengthened him to say the things that he said. He had to say to them, you did this. You crucified the Lord. He said, but God raised him up uh, from the dead. And he said some very bold things before, uh, before that council. So much so that the people who were, the council members said, we read it, where did they get this boldness from? They took note of them that they had been with Jesus. And friends, uh, the filling of the Spirit enabled them to give that testimony. And then we, we read on, we, the, the end of that chapter, chapter 4, again, the, the church, Peter and John being released, well, they went uh, back to the church and they, they told the, the church, this is what happened, this is what the council said, we're not to preach anymore in the Savior's name, what shall we do? Let's pray. Let's pray to God for boldness to speak. And that's what they did. They prayed, Lord, give us boldness to continue making your name known. And what happened after they said, Amen? The place was shaken, and the Spirit of God filled them, and they were able to give a bold witness to, uh, uh, to the Lord. And then again, you go to Acts chapter 9, and you know that the testimony, uh, or the conversion rather, of Saul, the Apostle Paul, and when Ananias went to him, Ananias said to, to him, the Lord has sent me to you so that, uh, uh, because you're going to be a preacher to the Gentiles, a teacher of the Gentiles, and God has sent me to you that you may receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did he do after that? Immediately, maybe the next day or a day or two after, he went into the, the synagogues and persuasively preached Christ to them. That was the result of his being filled with the Spirit. That's what the Scriptures say. He was given, as it were, a special uh, filling, a special anointing uh, to uh, preach the Savior. Oh, friends, all, when we are saved, all of us, the Bible teaches us, receive the Spirit. Everything that we need is given to us when we are converted. It's so important. Conversion is everything. That's why we, we, we call on people. If you don't know the Lord, if you haven't come to Christ, come to Him. Come and believe in Him. Come and repent of your sin. Come and obtain a better life. Come and obtain eternal life. Why will you spend your time? Why will you spend your days only for this world? Time is passing away. Life is passing away. This world, friends, is our opportunity to come to the Savior and to find, seek Him and find Him and know His blessing in our life. 
And when we come, when we have that conversion experiences, experience, God blesses us with so much. God blesses us with all spiritual blessings, and He gives us the Holy Spirit at that time. And we have all that we need uh, from that time. But we pray as we're going on in our Christian life, we are praying that God will continue to bless us and help us and influence us by His Spirit. It's, it's a common saying, one baptism, many fillings. One baptism when we are converted, that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not some special second experience, but one baptism when we are converted, and then subsequently many fillings that we receive from the Lord. But let's continue a little bit with uh, what Acts says. We read, excuse me, we read of men uh, like Stephen and Barnabas, that they were men who were full of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was in them in an abundant measure. How do we know? How do you know that he, he was filled with, Stephen was filled with the Spirit? How do you know uh, that Barnabas was filled with the Spirit? Well, by their life, by the way that they were living their life. There was evidence in their life to show this was proof that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were walking in, in the way of the Lord. Stephen, well, let's say a little bit about him. Uh, he was one of the first deacons in the church. He was a man who had a good reputation, a man who was full of the Holy, Holy Ghost and wisdom, and one who also, we read, had the face of an angel. He looked like an angel in the sense that he was a gracious man. You could see kindness etched on his face. You should you see graciousness, not anger. Oh, we see so much anger, isn't it, in people's faces? So much unhappiness in people's faces? So much uh, uh, opposition, as it were, sometimes uh, from people? So we can tell such a bad face, but when you looked at Stephen, there was a graciousness, angelic, angelic look that he had, and alongside that, courage. Courage, on the one hand, grace, on the other hand, uh, courage, because he stood for the Lord. You look in Acts chapter 6, and you read about it, he had the courage to stand for his Savior. His savior. This is him, on, on the one hand, gracious, on the other hand, strong and uh, unbending, having a backbone for the Lord, right up until the very end. May I also say one other thing about him? This man was so filled with the Holy Spirit, and yes, he did miracles and wonders, but he was also one who served tables. That was what he was called to do. The widows, called to look after the, the, the Greek widows in the early church, serving tables, making sure that the widows had food, a man filled with the Holy Spirit, doing such a menial task. Yes, yes, serving the Lord, whatever capacity. Oh, friends, don't get it wrong. Don't think that serving, being filled with the Spirit means I must be doing something wonderful. I must be out, uh, uh, you know, doing some miraculous works and converting thousands and doing great miracles. No, friends, it's seen even in daily life. It's seen in serving the church, perhaps in cleaning the church building. Oh, we can see there's a, a sister, there's a brother. He's, he's serving the Lord. He's filled also with the Spirit. You know, and of course, the other parts of his life will demonstrate these things. 
Barnabas, what should we say about Barnabas? Well, what does the Bible say? Acts 11.34, he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost. He was a good man. He was a kind man. You know, he went, he was known for being an encourager of people. He got alongside people where others didn't maybe, like with the Apostle Paul, and he encouraged them to come along, come to the church. And he, uh, people who were down, he got alongside them to lift them up, to, 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 to encourage them. Oh, friends, here, here was this man. He was known for this, for uh, loving, uh, for loving the Lord and loving people. The two went together, uh, full of the Holy Spirit and goodness. Isn't this such a, a lesson for us? He, he was here, he was, yes, he was a, a missionary. Yes, he was a preacher, but it was his character. The Spirit of God, the fullness of the Spirit made him in a good man. Well, friends, so what can we say? To be filled with the Spirit is for every believer to make you and I a better person, a humble person, a kinder person, better man, a better woman, better wife, a better husband, better child, better employee. Uh, this is why we have the Spirit, not, uh, not one who is covetous. We, read, we looked at a couple of weeks ago, verse 9, the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. That's what will be evident in a person's life. There'll be uh, that uh, honesty in their life, that righteousness and a, a good a kindness in their disposition. They're walking carefully. They're proving all things. A person who's in the Spirit, Spirit a person filled with the Spirit is redeeming the time. They're joyful, of course, in the Lord, but also submitting to others and the list could go, goes on and on. And yes, if need be, they're serving tables. They're serving the Lord in some menial task, if that's what's required. And then on special occasions, this is the general way you see the Spirit filling people. But on special occasions, like with Stephen, and like with, with what we read in Acts chapter 4, when they needed an extra, as it were, help from the Spirit, an extra uh, uh, energy from him, he comes in a reinforcing way. Extra help is given to us uh, also. Perhaps we get an opportunity to witness, and it's a little bit difficult. Maybe it's in front of your boss that you have to say something, and you, you pray you, you, that lightning prayer to the Lord, and the Lord fills you with the Spirit uh, to, in order uh, for you to do uh, that job, that, that role, to, to witness for him. But let's look at verse 18. Having said that, let's look at verse 18 a little bit. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now these uh, Ephesian believers, don't get them wrong, they were not uh, drunkards. They were not, that was the old life. That's how they used to live. They, but not now. Now they're converted, now they're changed. Nor is this a, a, a tirade, really, of Paul against drinking. It says, be not drunk with wine. Wine is permissible, but in the culture in which we're living, maybe you want to say, maybe total abstinence is better. Is there any culture like ours, really, where people are, are drinking so much? Even the Europeans criticize us, and other people criticize when they come to this country. I never expected people to be drinking like this. Is it better, maybe, for us to uh, go 
uh, teetotal, perhaps. But that's not what's in mind here anyway. Uh, verse 18 really is Paul contrasting a person who is drunk with wine with a person who is uh, filled with the Spirit on the other hand. So, what he's saying is, don't be like that uh, person intoxicated under the influence of alcohol. Instead, be like a person controlled by the Spirit and under His influences. What can we say? Well, a wine-intoxicated person, as you know, really is a, a senseless person. He's lost control. Uh, the wine has, or the beer, whatever it may be, has so affected him, he cannot think straight anymore. He's, uh, he's taken too much of it in. He cannot think soberly. Well, the spirit-filled person, well, he can see things clearly. Uh, he has his wits about him. Uh, he, he, he can see clearly what is life's priorities. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He's not going to allow other things to come in between uh, uh, his role now in life and his purpose in life. He can see as a Christian, it's sharpened, being filled with the Spirit has sharpened his, his spiritual faculties. So he knows and he can see clearly the way that he should walk and how he should please the Lord. He sees clearly uh, the things that are in the Bible more and more. A drunk person, as we know, well, he slurs in his speech, doesn't he? Uh, he speaks louder uh, than he normally does. He rambles on and on. And usually irrational statements come out of, what did he say? We can't really make sense of what he's saying. His words are all over the place. Not so the spirit-filled person. The spirit-filled person has control over his words. He's not going to indulge, as we've seen earlier in this chapter, in filthy communication, in, in conversation that is uh, not uplifting and uh, just trivial. Rather, his conversation, his words are going to be a giving of thanks and profitable and useful. Yes, sometimes witty, but uh, they're going to have to do some good. A drunk person, we could say, acts with, with this uh, false sense of bravado. Or the wine and the beer, well, it's gone to his head. And it uh, he, uh, makes him think, well, he's Superman and he can do anything. And he's able to defeat anyone who comes his way. No one is stronger than, than he is. He's strongest of all. The Spirit of God, sorry, rather the Spirit-filled man, thinks in a different way. He doesn't think like that. He's thinking soberly. Nothing's gone to his head. Pride hasn't gone to his head and made him think, you're so great, you're so wonderful, you're so tremendous, you're better than anybody else. He walks and thinks in a different way. He's thinking soberly. He's thinking, well, I, yes, I have gifts. I know what I can do. I know what I can't do. I'm not going to overstep that mark. Perhaps I'll push myself out a little bit, but I'm not going to go beyond that. I'm no superman. I'm a sinner. And I, can, uh, I want to walk humbly with my God. A drunk person, as you know, well, he's often an aggressive person. He's, he picks a fight very easily. He sees offenses where there are no offenses. A troublemaker to his friends. Troublemaker to his family. Causing great pain in the home because of his uh, drinking drunkenness. Trouble to society. Well, we know all about that. But not the spirit-filled believer. He is for peace. He is not for war. He is a blessing wherever he goes. A blessing in the church. A blessing in the home to his 
to, to espouse her spouse, a blessing in society. This is, uh, this is what he's like. He's no trouble seeker or a troublemaker. He doesn't pick a fight. He, he looks for peace. He seeks peace. Oh, friends, be filled with the Spirit. This is not something, it's written, put in such a way as it's something that happens to you. It's not something that you can uh, really, really pray for and do yourself. It's uh, being filled with the Spirit is in response to prayer. We pray, Lord, help me in this area. Help me in that area. Help me uh, to be a good testimony. Help me to witness. Help me to be more holy. Help me to be more humble. And as we pray and ask God for these things, then He fills us with the Spirit. Then He gives us uh, this Spirit. And it's put in such a way, be constantly, let yourselves be constantly filled with the Spirit. Use the means of grace. The means of grace, the, the church attendance, come to church, hear the Word, do, keep up your d devotions, uh, read the Word, pray every day. This is how God fills us with the Spirit. Well, let me just very quickly say some, something about these other verses, which are also evidence of a person who is filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. This is one way in which we express our joy in the Lord and our gratitude to Him. It's done so very much uh, for us. But three words are used here. And this is referring to our, our public gathering uh, when we come to worship the Lord, or maybe our, our family gathering at home as, as a family where we praise God. He says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Well, psalms, uh, probably a reference to the Old Testament psalms. Some people refer to it as the hymn book of the church or the, the Old Testament psalms. Hymns, well, those would be more the New Testament songs of praise to God and Christ. Uh, verse 14, here in this chapter, Awake thou that sleepest, and rise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Some take that as a, as a hymn of the, the early church. Or you know, uh, two, 1 Timothy 3, verse 16, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Many people think that was also a New Testament hymn sung in the church. So hymn has this uh, direction of the Father, the Son, and the, the Spirit, which is more in mind. And then spiritual songs. What's that? Well, that would be more songs that dwelt on themes other than God and Christ. Some people say, the charismatics would say, that's choruses. That's the, the, the ditty choruses that people sing. My friends, do you sing choruses? Maybe with children it's okay. But some choruses sung in public worship really uh, don't edify very much. You, you've heard some of them. They're just repetitive, the same thing again and again. There's no real substance. I said, yes, 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 Lord. I said, yes, 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 Lord. I said, yes, 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 Lord. That's it. Some of them are better, a lot better. But we've heard that one so many times. Oh, friends, the hymns uh, are, are there to stir us as we think on the words. But here we see three different types of, of, of singing, psalms, hymns, 
and uh, spiritual uh, songs. And I mean, you look at what we, our hymns for today, where we had, we began with a hymn, uh, praising God, an objective hymn, uh, worshiping the Lord. Our second hymn was taken from a, a psalm, Psalm 57. And then our third hymn, well, that was like a spiritual song, you could say, because it was about the Bible and the preciousness of the Bible and the wonderful promises in the, in the Word of God. We were singing about these things. All our friends, how, uh, this is how we could look at these, uh, these, these words. But making melody in our hearts to the Lord. This is so important as well. How do we worship? When we come to the Lord, we have to be engaged in the worship, engaged in the singing of these uh, hymns, sing with affection for the Lord. Am I singing in that way? Well, I cannot help but think as I was preparing of that uh, MP, I think he's still an MP, but he was uh, Welsh secretary at the time, and uh, he was at a Welsh conference, I think it was, and they played the national, the Welsh national anthem. And there he was on the stage along with other Welsh-speaking people, but he was an Englishman, and he didn't know the words, and he was just miming the words out one after the other. And everyone could see that he didn't know the words, and he was just pretending that he knew the words. And he became a bit of a laughing stock, actually. But he did look a bit so odd and unusual that he was pretending, just miming. Oh, we don't want to be like that. Are we like that, friends, when we, work, when we sing the hymns? Do I mime my way uh, through, uh, through the hymns? Or oh, is my heart really engaged? Is I, am I really feeling these things uh, that, uh, that, I'm, that I'm singing about? Did, we, did you see what we read or we sang? Uh, even in that number, let me just find it for us, 57. The hymn of Isaac Watts, verse 4. My heart is fixed, my song shall raise immortal honors to thy name. Awake my tongue, send forth my praise with all the fervor of my frame. That's how we are to sing. Oh, that's uh, an, an encouragement, I hope, uh, for us all, an exhortation. But then verse 20. Verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another expression of a spirit-filled person is that he is thankful to, to the Lord. And friends, this is a, such a pleasant thing to do. It's not a, a, a chore for us to thank God. Everyone can do it. No one is, is hindered. You may be young, you may be older, you can still give thanks to God. God has done so much for us. We have a debt of thanks to give back to Him. Oh, we shouldn't neglect to give thanks. I'm sorry to say this, but sometimes I get a little bit miffed when I'm driving in the road and you give way to somebody and they don't say thank you. Well, you sort of, why don't they say thank you? You sort of expect people to say thank you. It's only a small thing. It's a very trivial thing. But God has done great things for us. Great things for us. And we don't, we don't return thanks to Him. Or will He not be offended? In your devotions, give thanks Give time to thanksgiving. Thank Him for your earthly comforts. Thank Him for your families. Thank Him for your friends. Thank Him for your work. Thank Him, thank him for keeping you safe. Thank, you, thank Him for all that He has provided for you. 
Thank you for, for all the good things in life that you're able to enjoy. Thank you for taste, that you can taste your food still. Thank you that you're kept out of hospital. Thank you for so many things, friends, but especially those undeserved spiritual blessings. Name them one by one. Forgiveness, spiritual life. Thank you even for faith and repentance. Thank you for a new heart every day. Thank Him for the light that He gives to you from the Word. Thank Him for a place in heaven if you are His. Thank Him for every answer to prayer, oh, seen and unseen. Oh, friends, this is so uplifting for us that to, be, to give thanks to God. Perhaps sometimes you're struggling in, in your devotions, struggling in prayer, struggling to get going. Well, it may help you to begin in this way with thanksgiving to begin rehearsing before the Lord uh, those things that He has done for us. And as you do so, you will suddenly find that you're able to continue in a more freer way. Thanksgiving enlarges our perception of God's great goodness and how wonderful He is. Thanksgiving will make you a more cheerful person, a more joyful person, a more content person. This is the blessings that come through thanksgiving. For all things, Paul says, in happy times, of course, but also in difficult circumstances, even in times when sorrow fills our hearts, even in times of, of darkness, when things are not going our way, when we're in trials and difficulties, even then, here we are, we are told, let us express our thanks to God as still. Lord, I deserve nothing. I deserve nothing, yet I'm still blessed with so much. Yes, this is painful, what I'm going through. But, oh Lord, I must thank you for my salvation still. I must thank you for delivering me from that wrath that is to come and for a place in heaven. I thank you for all the other blessings I have in life, though something may be taken away from me. Oh, friends, we want to think in this way. Thankfulness helps us. Uh, to still our troubled minds. Lord, you've allowed these things to happen. I'll trust you still. And it's a, it's a help to us, even uh, in, in sad times or difficult times, as well as those happy ones. But very quickly, and I can only say a little bit, verse 21, another sign of a spiritual believer submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. It's a military term, submitting uh, put, uh, uh, keeping in rank as a soldier. You don't disobey orders. You submit, you yield uh, to the one who is over you. And here it's submitting yourselves in the church to one another. And it suggests a person, well, who is a, a reasonable person. He's uh, willing to get on, uh, get along with other people. He's willing to listen to other people's advice and what other people uh, say. He doesn't have to take what they say, but he's willing, he's open. He's not somebody who is self-assertive and doesn't like to take orders, an independent sort of fellow. No, he is somebody, he's not somebody who won't toe the line and uh, causes trouble because he has his own ideas. Oh, I think these things should be done in this way. I don't like the way the church is doing it. I think we should change. We should, we should bring this in and that in, and that should change. And, well, that kind of an attitude, friends, is an insubmissive attitude. We're not saying you just do everything that's told. You must think, yes, but a submissive person 
submit to one another in the fear of God and doing the will of God. A, a, a person who submits is a responsive person. Uh, he responds to cries for help. He doesn't just say, I've got my own agenda. I cannot fit, fit time in for, for you or for other people. He doesn't say, I'm superior to other people. No, he's willing to submit uh, to others. Well, friends, uh, these, uh, I've said a lot uh, this morning, uh, and I'm going to stop here. This is uh, some uh, indication to us of what it means uh, to be filled with the Spirit. May we all be, if we are His, Spirit-filled believers. Let's close by singing our final hymn, 551. Oh, Jesus Christ, grow thou in me. 551. Thank you.